Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. ESNY. Sports NY production recording on the afternoon of January 23rd. It's a Saturday. It's a little past 3 p.m. Rolling as always with my co-host Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Um, we don't always record on a Saturday, but when we do, it usually means it's a pretty good guest coming on, and uh, that that is no different tonight. Um, we're talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the NBA's probably um, one of the biggest stories in the league so far for obvious reasons, the James Harden trade being one of them. And uh, we have a whole bunch of different questions regarding the franchise, the direction going forward, some of the results that we've seen so far on the court. Um, there's a ton of talent on this team, a lot of uh, very interesting storylines going forward. Uh, so we had to get our buddy to break it all down with us. So we're very pumped to have the site manager for Nets Republic, Nolan Jensen, to come on the podcast. Nolan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, first off, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Secondly, as Nick's podcasters, I mean, what timing to get a uh, <laughs> guest in right now. Had <laughs> to back against Cleveland. The world is falling. You guys just made must be in uh, your complete glory right now. Yeah, I. you know what? And I want uh, Chip to kind of respond to that too like you know what Nick's Twitter's crazy man because there will always be like some sort of friendly ribbing between Nets and Knicks fans but like I I don't feel like I'm under the assumption um maybe some Knicks fans do that we are somehow on par with your team at all in any way shape or form um it is nice to, to get a couple of victories and be close to 500 here and, and to see maybe the big three struggle a little bit out the gate. At the end of the day, do I think they're going to pick it up? Do I think they're going to exceed, you know, 50 to 50 something wins? Yeah, I do. And I, and I think they're going to make a pretty deep run into the playoffs as well. But, you know, to start off and, and have some little growing pains, like, eh, I'll, I'll take a little bit of enjoyment in that, but it's not too much. Chip, what about you? In terms of roster, the Nets have a far superior roster, of course, but we, the Knicks have – we have a better coach, and just based on experience, I don't think – a lot of teams have a better coach, so that's not really even a, com, a compliment to say to Steve Nash. He's so new at it, but – and we have a better defense because the Nets just traded away their best defensive player. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, when the season's over, the Nets are going to be better. That's pretty apparent they have – 
three of the 15 best players in the NBA. But yeah, like you said, it's it's just fun to relish in the fact that the Nets just gave up a buck 50 to the Cavs in overtime. Colin Sexton just smoked them. Colin Sexton is really, really good. But. No, he is good, man. And, and, and that's funny too. Like, I don't want to veer too far off on Colin Sexton, but like there were so many people. And again, you know, as uh, as Knicks fans, Chip and I, like we were doing a lot of draft stuff prior to that trade where we eventually took Knox. But there was a lot of talk about Colin Sexton. And I remember writing about him and, and just feeling like, yeah, like I think I think he's an NBA player and I think he'll have a long career. I just don't think he'll be anything special because coming out of college, his calling card was defense. His offense wasn't really that great. But the the word around him was that he's going to work so hard that is he he's not going to be a bust. It's not possible for him to be a bust because he's going to work so hard. But this guy, man, he whatever he's done, like he is really, really risen. And even it's so funny because he's so productive. But even most, I think, supportive Cav fans would tell you that in their in their heart of hearts, they still believe he's probably like a Jordan Clarkson at his at his best, like a bench scorer. But Colin Sexton just keeps giving you reasons uh, to not doubt him because he's he's been pretty on fire. You know what I love most about him? What? It's, I wouldn't even say it's a rational confidence because you said the production kind of backs it up a bit. But with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving on the floor, Colin Sexton was like, I'm the best player on the court right now. And those two overtime periods. And we couldn't stop him whatsoever. And, and an ode to our uh, defensive issues, I mean – Nash, Chip kind of alluded to it. He's really struggling out the gates. His rotation and how he's been allocating minutes so far has been questionable, to say the least. We got Bruce Brown, right? And this guy will pick up players full court. He'll past um, the opponent's best perimeter players. And we're just kind of stashing him away on the bench for whatever reason. I mean, when you got KD, Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris, and DeAndre Jordan on the floor, or Jeff Green, Right, that, that's not a really stout defensive team whatsoever. So Nash, I want him and Marks for this instance because he has two open roster spars and he can go out and get some guys. If you get a zero on offense, I mean, we have enough firepower that we can compensate for that. But we need to go out and get like an actual legit defender that just going to go around and try to pest the opponents as best they can and try to disrupt their schemes. Because right now, like we don't have that and that's what we're giving up 150 to the Cavs. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, that's pretty fair. Um, I, I guess we'll rewind a little bit and just go back to the trade. But mm-hmm. defense is definitely a topic that I'm sure uh, Chip and I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the best place is I, I just want to start with your first reaction. Like as a Nets fan, uh, when you heard of the, the Harden trade, uh, just first reaction, because like I feel like it, it's been such an interesting journey. Um from the the Kenny Atkinson's team teams to now Mm -hmm. uh, and all of the kind of like just bubbling under the surface of like this team. Okay. They, you know, became this, this nice, good team. And then they were so attractive to the point of, in terms of the way they were playing Kyrie and Katie come, and now you have the assets to pull off the James Harden trade. So what's your first initial reaction and what former net now will you miss the most? Oh, I'll answer the first part. What former net I'm going to miss the most? Definitely Jared Allen. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, what made it even worse is that the Rockets were looking for an additional first round pick. 
we were trying to shop Landry Shamit, who we dealt for a first round pick in this year's draft, number 19, Sadiq Bay. So if we had not done that, Jared Allen could still be a Brooklyn net. And that's just the toughest pill to swallow. But um, to go back to your uh, original question, like what was my initial reaction is that Sean Marks kind of pulled it off. Like you said, we were uh, the NBA's sweetheart in 1819, but the subsequent steps to that was to go out and attract, you know, the big name players. And they've done that. So good on them. Um, I mean, it's, it's Brooklyn, New York. The intrigue was always there. But now that they've established that culture and have done all that, these were going to be the subsequent steps. And now it's just going and uh, actually winning an NBA championship. But right now, as we can clearly tell, there's still work to be done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, I, I hear that too. Um, it's 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 so interesting too. Like you said before we started the pod, it's been such an up and down season, and I feel like uh, on some level uh, we we've got to ask you about Kyrie, such a, a really really interesting player, so talented. Uh, I hope, or at least I don't think, that most people take issue with his stance on social justice or his role as an activist in the community. Um, that being said, I do think, you know, the lack of, or at least perceived lack of communication with the team prior to his absence or inability to follow like health and safety protocols has to be somewhat of a concern. Um, is it, is it, I I guess, what level of concern do you have? And do you think it will be a concern going forward? And then I guess I kind of want to fit a third question in here. Do you feel that in any way at all, Kyrie's absence from the team served as a catalyst to complete the Harden trade, maybe quicker than than they wanted to. Man, this is always a heavy one once you bring up Kyrie Irving. Um, I <laughs> um, I'd rather be going through these issues in January compared to May or June. Then I'd be genuinely concerned. I mean, it's so early. Um, obviously, you want to see you know sound communication between head coach, especially rookie head coach Steve Nash and Kyrie Irving. I'm not sure that was present. Uh, they dealt with it in-house, so it's beyond me. I'm just, you know, a guy that blogs about the Brooklyn Nets on Twitter. I, I don't really know, like, how much um, gravity to give the situation, per se. But right now, you ask me if I'm concerned. Not really. Like, none of my concerns are really surrounded or centered around the big three. It's more the fact that we have an incomplete roster, two roster spots open with DMPing active guys. I mean, we're playing a seven or nine man rotation against the Cavs in January. Like that's a legitimate issue. So on the Kyrie end, not really too um, generally concerned quite yet, but if this is going on, you know, a few months down the road, once the playoffs are around in the corner, then yeah. All I care is that he's here for the playoffs. We get 16 wins in the playoffs, but Right now, I wouldn't say I'm too generally concerned, no. Um, and sorry, what was the second part of that question? The oh, first so much. <laughs> no, it's all right. I was going to say, in any way, did you feel that his absence served as a catalyst to complete the Harden deal? Um, the only reason I ask that, honestly, is because, it, and, and based on, and, and again, you may see um, the kind of, background of the deal differently than I did but at least from from my interpretation of it like I felt like when Harden made it known that he wanted to be traded I felt like there was a lot of leverage for both Philadelphia and Brooklyn at least um in in the initial goings and I just felt like you know 
in, in, in my mind, I felt like Houston was going to get taken advantage of at some point. It just depended on who it was going to be. Uh, but when I saw the deal happen and I saw the four first round picks and the, and the four pick swaps, it, you know, even with the, even with what went out, I still feel like at the end of the day, it's really only six picks because those first two pick swaps are most likely not going to happen um, depending on where Brooklyn is. But I, I do, I, I felt like, I don't, I don't feel like they gave up a crazy amount, no. but in some way the thought did run through my mind. I was like, well, did Brooklyn maybe hasten or try and rush this deal a little bit more because of what happened with Kyrie? And, you know, if there was any concern at all that he was not going to come back for this year, would it have maybe pushed them to say like, listen, we, we got to get him in now. You know, like that's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, it's such a tough question because there has been speculation, right? There has right. been what's going on with Kyrie um, a couple of weeks ago and how that may have kind of spurred Sean Marks on to maybe throw in a couple additional draft picks that he didn't want to in the offseason to get him in. Um, but, man, it's, 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 such a, it's such a tough one. We know that they've been talking for months. We know that. Harden wanted out a while ago and he preferred Brooklyn as a landing spot. So this, these, these talks weren't novel. Um, as far as did Sean Marks, you know, really push for it um, after Kyrie Irving kind of went AWOL on us a bit. I don't, I don't think so because also James Harden was doing kind of the exact same thing in Houston in the press conferences. I mean, he made that situation for them uncomfortable really fast so I think it was kind of fusing the meshing of both James Harden essentially demanding out and maybe that situation that kind of said okay we need to get this done sooner rather than later and once you uh I mean once you put out that the Nets are actively shopping for James Harden you know that means Karis Avery, you know that means Jared Allen um potentially Spencer Dinwiddie um uh, whoever that whoever is going to be involved in that trade package so you kind of want to get it done as soon as possible after that's done because it's hard to kind of reprimand those relationships after the fact because you know like hey katie and Kyrie were potentially shopping me and then you worry about team chemistry whatever the case may be after the fact so i think there was a lot of factors but i don't think it's too far-fetched to say and this is just you know complete speculation i have no idea that maybe the Kyrie situation kind of spurred it on a little bit more too. Yeah, I think there was a number of factors. I agree with you. I think also once Harden's team leaked that he would be willing to go to Philly, the clock was ticking because yeah. even if Fertitta was like, I don't want to deal with Maury, if Maury, uh, Brooklyn and Marks needed to take into account if Maury decides he's going to be willing to include Simmons in a deal and other players that would be tempting to, Houston, they didn't want to take that chance. So they decided to go all in. I agree with you. I think there was a lot of different factors involved in that uh, situation. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, Nolan, is you mentioned the two open roster spots that the yeah. Nets have right now. And obviously, one of them needs to be used to address the defense. So there's not a lot out there right now. But uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on who they may uh, bring in. I'm all in on uh, the charge god, uh, Ersan Ilyasova. <laughs> I, want. I want a smart, crafty vet, can spread the floor a bit, 
um, can manipulate um, the opponent's scheme a tad. I, I want someone like an Ilya Sova. They've been in talks with JaVale McGee. I wouldn't mind that either. He just signed uh, Norvell Pell. I don't even know if I'm saying yeah. that right, to be honest with you. I didn't even know who that was. And Woj acted like he was going to change the rotation. Like, be this... Well, this would have happened, too. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to my knowledge, in a couple of weeks, he's going to be a 28-year-old sophomore. He played 24 games last year, nine minutes. Okay. 1.3 blocks, but also 2.3 personal fouls. So I'm like, oh, he's just a little ah. mini Mitch Robinson. That's going to be <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, we need to, like you said, we definitely need to address the defensive situation on this team. Like I said, if you're going to get a zero on offense, I mean, we're going to survive. We just need a guy out there that can go out and get some stops. So I wouldn't mind Ilya Sova. I wouldn't mind McGee. Uh, I could also play the buyout market. I'm really looking at Trevor Reza. I hope that yeah. that's an unfolds in OKC. Um, Tory Craig on Twitter came out and hit us with an emoji that might indicate that he's unhappy there. So, so I was also paying attention and monitoring how that may unfold. Maybe if you can throw a draft pick in the second round or two and try to take a flyer on someone like him, he's six foot seven. I mean, we just honestly like we need and Marks hates doing this. We need a wing that's six foot seven or six foot eight physical and uh, might be able to shoot the three every now and then. And we had that in the draft in CDK, and I'm still not over it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so not chump then, because he's not That seems redundant to me. I don't know. Like I, I have a lot of questions about that. And chump on offense, man, there's just nothing really there. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I know that sounds that's, that's counterintuitive as to what I just said. But with Bruce Brown, I think you kind of – I think he's assumed that that Shump role. Yeah, you, you're you not getting that three-point shooting, at least, at least not consistently from Shump. He's too erratic with the shot, I think. You're not going to get what you need. Uh, but I did – with all the Kyrie and Harden talk, what we've kind of lost focus on is how amazing Kevin Durant has been since yeah. he's come back. Even, even Knicks fans like us can't discount the greatness of Kevin Durant. Like, he's been – even just even better than we could have possibly imagined coming off that surgery. And I wanted to ask you what you thought of Durant and not just on the court. It became pretty apparent in Kyrie's absence. This is his team. He's the leader. Everybody looks at him. It's he's put his stamp on the team. So I wanted to ask you what you thought of that. Uh, There's a hierarchy and Kevin Durant's at the top of it. Mm -hmm. You said it. This is his team. Matt, he's putting up MVP splits. He's actually playing better than he did in his MVP season. And as you mentioned, it's kind of going unnoticed because of all the the drama and extracurricular surrounding this team. And with Kevin Durant, like what we know about him, he just wants to hoop. Like that's all he wants to do. He wants to bring a championship to Brooklyn. He's doing his part and then some. He's playing phenomenal this season. I mean, I think he's only had like one game this season where he shot below 45%. So the true shooting percentage Kings added again, he's averaging like 37 and five or something absolutely absurd on like better than 50%, 40% from three and almost 90% from the free throw line. So he he's doing his part. He's been absolutely sensational. Um, in a lot of ways, like if you were to say who the top three NBA, player, NBA players in the league right now, Kevin Durant's definitely in that conversation, even post Achilles, and he might be trending upwards towards number one, which I believed in 2019 playoffs. I thought he was the best player in the world, but he's really coming back for that throne again. What do you guys think? I, you know what? Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, well, honestly, man, like 
The NBA is better when Kevin Durant is playing at an elite level. He is beyond fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely surprised because, and you could call it being a bitter Knicks fan, like that's fine. But I remember when he when he tore his Achilles, I even tweeted out, you know, I was like, you know what, I know this guy is otherworldly, but I, I I'm not taking the risk, you know. And it it was honestly because of the history of Achilles injuries and whatnot. And of, and of course you could say, well, if anybody's going to come back, it would be him. That ended up being true because um, the, the stuff that he's doing on the court, man, is it's really ridiculous. And even that first game back, I just remember watching just how easily he would shoot over people. Um, and even something that, um, and, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Nets games this year, but Something that I'm, I've seen a couple of times, and, and I almost wonder if it's intentional or if it's, um, you know, the health and fitness staff maybe telling him, like, I've seen him go up for some breakaway dunks and, like, be pretty kind of chill with how he puts it down. And I almost, I almost wonder if that's, that's not really an Achilles thing that I'm thinking of, but just being mindful of the impact on his knees, on his legs and whatnot. And um, he's been amazing. Um, but actually along the KD conversation, one thing I wanted to ask you, and we touched on the defense already, the Nets are 23rd in defensive rating right now. Yeah. Um, historically Harden with the exception of post defense hasn't been much of, um, somebody who's going to stop opposing guards. Do you see, do you see KD as someone who can get into his teammates and, you know, kind of raise the level of this defensive intensity and awareness, because we've seen Harden famously, you know, not get along with certain teammates. Now, we don't know. We don't always know what the reasons are for that. We can assume what they are based on how we perceive players' personalities. Right. But um, do you think that KD can you, we've already said that he's at the top of the hierarchy like it's, it's him. Do you think that he can kind of raise that level of, of his teammates' defensive awareness and intensity? Well, Katie knows what it takes to win an NBA championship. And so does Kyrie Irving, who I thought in 2016 finals did actually a pretty good job defensively against Steph Curry. So they know if they want to be competing in June and they want to take home the throne, they're going to have to up the defensive intensity. What we're seeing right now cannot be what we're seeing in the playoffs. And they both know that. So, yeah, I do expect them to kind of um, take the teammates to the side. Like Kevin Durant did earlier with Joe Harris, who who I love, but defensively, I mean, he's not going to give you all too much. So yeah, I I completely expect him to kind of take over, I guess, in a sense, the locker room and really instill into those guys that hey, we're going to have to bring it. The effort is going to have to be there in the playoffs if we want to take on the championship. I mean, twenty third rating in the NBA and defensive rating, that's just abysmal. That's not going to get it done. Um, as I mentioned, those two open roster spots, maybe that helps out a bit. Maybe you start Bruce Brown. Um, maybe that helps a bit as well. But Kyrie, KD, James, they're all going to have to be bought in defensively. KD has been this year. Kyrie, Kyrie, the effort defensively isn't always there. I know he's a capable defender because I've seen it on the biggest stage, but he is going to have to be bought in as well. And James Harden, you mentioned the post-defense. He's good there. He's also been really good with his active hands, kind of reaching to the cookie jar without fouling. Uh, <clears throat> but off-ball stuff, they're all going to have to be bought in. And I think Kevin Durant is going to, like you said, he's the he's the leader of this locker room. He's the top of that hierarchy. He's going to have to tell the guys, like, hey, this is what it's going to take. 
for us to win an NBA championship because what we're seeing right now is not going to cut it. Both Kyrie and Harden are definitely capable defenders in the playoffs if they lock in. Kyrie more so than Harden, and obviously Harden in the post. That's why guys don't really post him up too much but because mm. of how strong he is. But KD is, in my opinion, I think you might agree, Nolan, now is your best defensive player. 100%. So, yeah, in the in the playoffs, when the playoffs come along, there's going to be more pressure on him, you would think, to guard the other team's best player, which – I mean, there's going to be more pressure on obviously Kyrie and Harden because to perform defensively. So, what do you think about KD guarding the other team, kind of doing what Kawhi Leonard does, I guess, and taking on the challenge of guarding the other team's best player while at the same time having to be Kevin Durant on the offensive end? Um, I like that take. I actually threw that out before the season started. I think KD is going to embrace a lot of these matchups. And it's like, hey, well, Kyrie can backpack on offense. And now you have Harden as well, too. So Katie, I should say, sorry, he can really help neutralize the opponent's best wing or even big man. He's been pretty stout in the post as well this year, too. And he's just so, so long and he come over weak side providing rim protection. He's really doing a little bit of everything for us. I think he's an early MVP candidate, which sounds crazy because Kyrie and Harden are now on the team as well. But. I uh, I think Katie, I think he's going to embrace those matchups in the postseason. And I think. Kyrie and James are, I mean, they're capable defenders, like you said, but I don't think they're on the same level as Katie when he really is locked in. So they're going to have to backpack offensively. And we're going to need to have another wing player that can come out and disrupt stuff. A backup center. I don't know if, don't, like DJ in the playoffs. I mean, you guys saw DeAndre Jordan as a Nick for a, a coffee break for a little bit there. I don't know how confident I am in him playing past the second round. So, Marks is going to have to do a little thing, uh, a couple things here and there. But I uh, to go back to what I originally said. I think Katie's going to step it up in the playoffs. I think he's going to embrace those matchups. If you're getting the same DeAndre Jordan in the playoffs that we got in his brief time with the Knicks, <laughs> you're not you're not going very far. It's not great. It's not no. great. I mean, I was I was. That's another question I kind of wanted to um, hit on too. I mean, like, what what is is it just as simple to say? he's older and the attributes that he had when he was a younger player, he just doesn't have anymore from an athletic standpoint. Um, why has he been struggling so much? Like I know that in theory, you bring a vet in as a big who knows the game and has been around long and, and they serve like a couple of different purposes, right? Usually on the court, they know where to be, even if they can't get there as fast as they're used to doing. Yeah. And they're great in the locker room. Um, but it's just tough for, for me as an NBA fan, where I'm looking at members of Nets Twitter and they're like, why isn't Jared Allen playing more? This is prior to the trade. Why isn't Jared Allen playing more? Why is it? And then it's like, it, it would, it would suck. But then again, I also have to take into account, like, I, I am not currently a fan of a franchise that has three future hall of famers on it. And when you're a organization that has three future hall of famers on you got to cater to them like as as much as you want to say everybody gets treated the same that's not the case and like is it just as simple to say is like listen deandre jordan is is friends with these guys and and you know he's it would it would be a killer to his ego and maybe the overall morale of the team if if he gets put on the bench or um i don't know but what is it with him man it's, it's been tough 
That's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, since he's come here on a four year, $40 million contract, um, had he not been friends with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I don't think he's a Brooklyn net right now. I don't think he's a starting center. I don't think he's a guy that Sean Marks would even pursue with the uh, tax minimum in the off season. So I, that definitely plays a role. Um, no doubt about it. Um, as far as his effort and maybe deteriorating athleticism on the floor, it's, it's, it's visible. Um, he, he, he does have games <clears throat> where he shows you stuff. He uh, kind of, I guess, in a way, turns back the clock and looks like the DeAndre Jordan of old. But those are so few and far between now. Last year, he started off slow, and as the season progressed, he kind of played himself into shape. Um, there's there's hope that he's going to do that again this season. Um, I'm still – I'm really skeptical about DeAndre Jordan. I kind of always have been. I'd much rather have Jared Allen still on the floor. I was one of those guys on that Twitter that was like, please – for the love of everything that is good, start Jared Allen and give him DeAndre Jordan's minutes. But now, obviously, that's no longer the case. And DJ is really our only legitimate center in the rotation. So we need him to step up. We need him to play well. I just don't know if we're going to get it. Um, I know that during last season's trade deadline, there was rumors that he might be shopped to Houston. Uh, I know the Rockets were interested, but Mark's quickly shut those rumors down so i'm like this katie did Kyrie play a role in that i mean your guess is as good as mine i would assume that uh, at least to some extent yeah they did um part of the reason why kenny Atkinson got fired i mean there's been plenty of speculation that that was also centered around you know deandre jordan not starting i wouldn't go that far but that's kind of been you know the narrative surrounding deandre jordan in his brooklyn nets tenure he's kind of there because he's good friends with kevin durant and Kyrie irving and i would I couldn't necessarily disagree with that statement. So, yeah, it's 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 um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, um, and also how Nash kind of handles it because I feel like a, a big part of the reason he got the job was how popular he is uh, amongst players, but his ability to communicate with players. I think that's at least from mm-hmm. a perception standpoint, what what the big kind of um. Uh, take against Kenny Atkinson was from a communication standpoint that it was like, listen, I'm, I'm the coach and we're going to kind of do this my way or the highway. Um, and it's interesting because that's kind of how Tibbs is running the Knicks, but it's also a much younger team. So, you know, you could say that, that, that plays a lot easier when you don't have guys that are established superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, I, I think that's interesting as well, but a, another question I wanted to ask, it also um, kind of touches on the Brooklyn's big three and historical big threes within this league. The Heat teams, yep. when they were playing at their best, always talked about sacrifice. You know, Chris Bosh, you know, essentially became a, a, a good spot-up shooter and a, and a rim protector. Uh, Wade took a back seat despite being the guy in Miami for all of his career. Um, do you feel like that has to happen in Brooklyn and who is going to do that in Brooklyn? Man, that's another great question. Um, so far, uh, you can probably tell if you watch the Nets last four games, I think James Harden's the one that's sacrificing the most. He's trying to make sure that Kyrie gets his, that Katie gets his. He's trying to get acclimated, which is funny because I kind of want the polar opposite, especially with our second unit or lack thereof of a second unit. I'm like, I want James Harden to be driving 20 times a game. I want him to shoot. 
somewhere between 20 to 25 times a game because that's just how we're going to win, at least in my opinion right now. Kyrie has really um, burdened the load offensively. He's been, uh, if you watched First Take or Undisputed or any national media show, he's been getting a lot of crow for shooting too much. But, I mean, that's one of the only reasons why we were in these games (laughs) to begin with. So as far as who is going to have to be the one that really takes us, uh, I guess, a, a step back, kind of like Wade deferred to Bosch. I mean, Wade deferred to LeBron, I should say, and Bosch took that step back. Even in the Cleveland's big three, Kevin Love was the one that kind of stepped back. Um, it's hard to say right now because we have such a small sample size. Um, I want James Harden to be more aggressive. Um, Kyrie Irving on some possessions, um, he's just kind of one-track mind dogmatic just looking to score there's times where i want him to defer uh kevin durant you're perfect just just be you i'm not gonna <laughs> talk on him whatsoever but james harden and kyrie irving is between those two right now i want to see who's gonna be one to take the step back who's gonna be one to defer i think it's gonna be uh whatever the team needs and that's where nash is gonna have to kind of step in and as you said he's a great communicator he is gonna have to you know kind of allocate what exactly what this team needs maybe kevin durant has to step in but as of right now man i hate to like do this to you but i really can't answer that question because it's just such a brief small small sample size i should say and uh i just i i I don't know quite yet did you ever think you'd have to say you need to see james harden be more aggressive (laughs) circumstances what that i think i was going to watch james harden play basketball and think dude you need to like shoot the basketball more but that's what we've come to right now especially with the second unit it's it's hilarious actually man a lot of a lot of guys want need the ball in their hands on that team but i i think you're right i think it i think james does need to be clearly more aggressive but they'll get used to playing with each other Um, one of the thing, another thing I wanted to ask you about, I think I saw, I don't remember the exact number, but the nets have used, uh, the most starting lineups of any team in the NBA this year. And a lot of that obviously has to do with Kyrie not being, uh, active for, I think six games, but, uh, there's also been injuries and stuff, but I want to ask you as of now, right. With the roster there, uh, what's like your ideal starting lineup look like for the nets? Um, I would have to go honestly right now. It'd be Kyrie. Oh, man. Kyrie. I'll go Bruce Brown, James Harden. I guess Katie, DeAndre Jordan. And maybe you can go small depending on the matchup. And you can kind of plug in Jeff Green for DJ. But right now, as it stands, I think that would be it, which means that Joe Harris is coming off the bench. Yep um man they already have such amazing three-point shooting with those three I mean all of them can hover around 40 percent and even though Joe Harris opens up the offense a bit defensively we need a lot more and I think Mm -hmm. Bruce Brown can provide that I mean he's really the only especially the second unit capable on ball uh defender we have so I would like to see him get the start but then again, who knows what's going to happen these next two weeks? Who knows who Marks goes out and gets? That can completely change. Uh, maybe even for those willing to go that far, looks to deal Dinwiddie. Like there's still, it's incomplete and there's so many different things that can happen. But as it stands right now, Chip, I'll go Kyrie, Bruce Brown, uh, Harden, Katie, DeAndre. I think that's a really good lineup. Yeah, I like that one. And, and Harris now on the second unit gives that one 
some scoring. That's a good lineup. And what do you think of uh, Jeff Green at the five, too? Still a work in progress. Still not yeah. perfect. Um, what the Nets have been doing is they've been switching everything, kind of like the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. did three years ago. But the problem is, is that they're not they're not good enough defensively to be doing so. Yeah. I threw out the tweet. I'm like, man, they switch sometimes like lazy dudes playing pickup out the wild. <laughs> it's just like there's no real rhyme or reason as to why they're doing it. So um, Jeff Green, Jeff Green's been so good for us, man, at the veteran minimum. Um, him at the four and him at the five. It's definitely something that they can, uh, you know, build upon and look to use as the season goes on. So I like small ball still has its place uh, depending on matchup. We're going to have to go big, but I mean, if Jeff Green, Kevin Durant front court, that provides you a lot offensively. So I'm not exactly opposed to it. And then, and then James Harden and Jeff Green, who have chemistry dating back to Houston and even exactly. OK, they've been pretty good in the uh, pick and roll too. So Jeff Green, man, that was a really good get for us. No complaints yeah. at all. Yeah, he's looked good. That's the thing with you guys going through the East. You can probably play small going through most of the East, except if you go up against Philly and Embiid, you're going to have to play DeAndre. But DeAndre does a pretty good job against him. No, he hasn't passed. If, if Honestly, if DeAndre Jordan plays well against Embiid and just pests him, I mean, he's going to get his. But if he can just, you know, try to limit him to like 25 or 13. Yeah. The contract's almost worth it, so mm-hmm. that's definitely that's definitely the series where we need DJ to step up. I'm happy for Jeff Green, man, because um, I feel like every year when someone signs him, there's always jokes on the internet about, oh, like everybody is signing Jeff Green for what they want him to be, and he ends up being, you know, like a, a disappointment. But yeah. uh, he is a really talented player, man, and and, and you know, I think maybe issues with previous signings is that just people wanted too much from him yeah. but playing this kind of ancillary role I think really fits him and where he is in his career right now and he still has enough in him to give you like a lot of spark um, if you want to do a small ball five or off the bench um, I think one of my last questions that I wanted to ask is uh, just kind of like forecasting uh, into the, the the Eastern Conference and potentially the playoffs what is the team that you fear the most in the Eastern Conference and why? Man, some some good questions today, boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Bucks, they're a perennial threat. Like they they're going to be present. They're going to be good. Um, the Sixers, I almost feel inclined to say it's them. Um, they're big. They're physical. I like the addition of Doc Rivers behind the bench. And B can give us issues. If Tobias Harris has himself a really good series, that could be problematic for us. Um, ben Simmons in the past has given us issues, and we're not exactly physical, and he could, you know, present a couple problems for us as well, too. Outside of those two teams, like who I would hate to see in the first round, not because I think that they're going to beat us, but I think it's just going to be a tough out is the Pacers. The Pacers play such a hard nose brand of basketball that if we're not careful they could give us six games easily and then moving on from a series like that into a series against like the bucks or sixers that could be problematic potentially so but outside of those two the sixers and the bucks man maybe the celtics the celtics don't really fear me too much i don't think they have it figured out quite yet i think they need a couple pieces 
Um, Kemba's back, but Kemba's also food defensively in the playoffs, and we can just right. pick him with James Harden and Kyrie Irving putting him in the pick and roll like relentlessly. So they're not too much of a concern unless Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are like the two best players in that series. I don't think they're going to beat us, but the Bucks. They're stout, man. They're I, I know that there's kind of a narrative surrounding them and that they've underperformed, but they're still really tough. And I would that's gonna be a tough matchup for the Nets if they if they get them in the second or Eastern Conference Finals. But the Sixers right now, I think the Sixers are the hardest matchup for us. So yeah, I'm I'm going with the Sixers as well. I um prior to the Harden trade, Chip and I, we did a uh, you know, kind of preseason pod. And uh, I had the Sixers making it to the finals against the Lakers. Um, I think, you know, now with this trade, I think I'd be a fool not to reconsider, but I'm, I'm going to stick with the Sixers now just because I just like the shooting they added around um, Embiid and Simmons. I, I, I do think they're playing well. Man, I honestly, I just can't wait to see that matchup. Like whenever they play the Sixers on the schedule, I don't know if that's coming up soon or – within a month or so, like that's, that's circled on my calendar. Like I will definitely be, you know, putting aside whatever I have on my schedule to watch that, that, that would be a great game for sure. Mm -hmm. No, 100% agree. Um, Chip, do you, uh, you have anything else for Nolan? Uh, No, I don't. I think I'm good. Got you. Got you. Um, Yeah, man. I, I, listen, I think the, the Nets are a fascinating team and, um, I it's it's funny the last thing I think maybe like I I kind of want to end with is uh an an, an underrated storyline I wouldn't say it's underrated cuz it's not like it doesn't get any press but is just Nash in general and I know we talked when Nash got hired I know we talked to you about him um maybe maybe that's a good question to ask just however games we however many games we're in 17 18 um what do you like that you've seen from him so far and, and what do you not like? Because I'm not going to lie. I, I don't know if it was the last pod that I came on with chip or maybe we were texting or something like that. There's a part of me that feels like if this doesn't go well and well is relative, right. But I feel like if they don't win it a championship this year and their struggles out the gate early next year, I feel like, um, Mark's and the Nets organization's patience as a franchise could be very tested. Yeah. And I think they could maybe shift to try and bring in somebody with more experience. Um, that's, I, that could be completely wrong and, and um, kind of an overreaction, but that's also what happens in the NBA when you have teams that are very talented and they don't reach expectations. So what have you liked that you've seen from Nash so far and, and what do you not like? Um, <clears throat> what I've liked is that he understands he has to play the big guys, big minutes. Um, that's been, you know, a couple coaches have issues with kind of stomaching <laughs> such a concept. And Steve Nash, thus far, almost, almost to a fault, he's going to give Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden, he's going to give them huge minutes, and we're going to need that in the playoffs. Um, what I've disliked. And this could be a feel thing, right? It's only 17 games is that he is, in-game adjustments, um, his rotations, um, sometimes lack of timeouts, like those things that elite coaches are, are good at, especially come playoff time, 
Nash isn't quite there yet. And I think that's my Canadian kindness kicking in because he's actually admittedly been pretty bad. Um, but like, again, it's 17 games. Um, he's a rookie head coach. I mean, like what, 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 he's to, to, to coach this Brooklyn Nets team with title aspirations as a rookie head coach, that's that's tough, especially considering how Kenneth Atkinson and Kenny was shown the door last season because they thought he wasn't the one to get it done. And now Steve Nash comes in and he is supposed to be the guy to get us to the promised land. So there's there's tremendous expectations. There's going to be a lot of learning on the job, and we've experienced that thus far. Um, another thing I've disliked is the lack of Bruce Brown minutes, and that's been a thing on Nets Twitter that has yeah kind of, noticed that yeah it's almost been every. <laughs> at this point where we're always on him for that. Um, so I've liked that he's given the big guys, the big minutes, lack of timeouts to stop runs, um, in-game adjustments, switching too much on defense. And just like an overall feel. It's not quite there yet with Steve Nash. So, but it can get there. It's only 17 games. Uh, I'll give him a, a longer leash, but if this is still happening next season, especially near the halfway mark, and we didn't win a championship at the conclusion of this one, I can also see him being, you know, shown the door. It's a ruthless league. It is what it is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I, I like Nash a lot. He's obviously uh, R.J. Barrett's godfather. So <laughs> I also loved his quote when he was like, I want every one of his shots to go. And I was like, damn, I was like, that's, I was like, that's really nice for an opposing coach to say. <laughs> about a player that literally played their team that night. I was like, wow. I was like, those that connection runs deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, man, Nolan, always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, we really enjoy uh, talking with you. I was just talking to Chip uh, before we had you on, and I was like, yo, I was like, I'm trying to find a Nolan article, and I was like, I, I was like, I couldn't find any anything recently, and I was like, maybe he's just too involved with the site managing and stuff like that, but. We miss your writing, man. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. Yeah, uh, five of uh, five quarter semester and a couple of jaws. It's hard to uh, plug out my usual 900 words about Joe Harris. I'm finding, but uh, I'll get back to it. I'll get back on it. I appreciate that a lot, and always it's, it's a complete pleasure to talk with you guys. Awesome, man. And uh, before we wrap up, just tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter, um, where they can find your your work. Um, and if you're, if there's anything you're working on right now, you know, please, please promote for sure. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter, uh, N underscore Jensen. That's J E N S E N 1995. You can find all of my work over at Nest Republic. Um, as Jeff just mentioned it, I'm currently the site manager over there. We've, uh, we got a good group of writers there. We're looking to really establish ourselves. We've been writing articles daily. Um, so definitely check out our stuff over there. And as I mentioned before, man, it's always fun talking with you guys. Always fun talking and chalking it up with some Knicks fans, especially when it's <laughs> <doesn't look cool. laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the feeling is mutual, man. And I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking again before the season is over. Uh, if you're not following Nolan on Twitter, you're not doing it right. Um, and please read all their good stuff over at Nets Republic. And of course, uh, until next time, we hope you guys are staying safe. We will talk to you soon. Is there?